Chapter 5 If We Make It Through December Libby was running through her mental checklist. The annual ladies' Christmas party was that morning at church, and the Titus II group was meeting that night. She had a pot of mulled cider going on the stove because she wanted to test the recipe before giving it to the rest of the group, at least the half that were okay with the rum addition. Martha Ann was bringing the non-alcoholic version. Let's see, Libby thought. Karina's coming to clean while I'm at the party this morning, so we should be ready for tonight. Peanut butter pies need to be set out, so as long as I don't mix it up and take the cider to church, we should be fine. A sharp knock on the door interrupted her thoughts. She hurried to the front to answer it and was surprised to see Jean Allen on the porch. Well, hello, Libby, Jean said in her sugary voice. I just came over to see if I could be of any help before the party. Oh, no, Jean, Libby responded in an exaggerated tone. Everything's just fine, thank you. She started to pointedly close the door when Jean pushed it open and walked right in. You sure? She asked. I'm happy to carry things over. Like I said, everything's all set, Libby responded. I'm only bringing peanut butter pies. The main women's group really did all the work. This isn't my rodeo this year. Jean smiled tightly. Of course, you have your other little group, don't you? Libby just smiled in response. She and Jean had been going head-to-head since they had both happened to wear the same dress one day in middle school. It was one of those things that seemed like a big deal when you were 13, but Jean had been particularly catty about it. Libby hadn't liked the woman since, and she especially didn't like the way Jean had treated Melody's sister when Carol and Ryan, Jean's son, were married. Since Ryan had died, though, God had been convicting her about being kinder to Jean, or at least less downright hostile. So Libby bit her tongue a lot when they were in the same room. My, what is that delicious smell, Jean asked as she walked toward the kitchen, making herself more at home than Libby would have liked. Oh, just a new cider recipe I'm trying, Libby responded. With a generous amount of rum, she thought. Jean nodded. Do I smell orange cloves, too? Yes, you do, Libby said. Well, I really should get these pies over. The phone rang, and Libby rolled her eyes. Even with cell phones, Dale had insisted they keep a landline, and it meant she had to run into the sunroom every time the phone rang. I'll just be a second, she said, as Jean headed into the kitchen. I hope she's not in there snooping around, she thought. Libby was in the sunroom longer than she expected with the phone call. It was her doctor's office confirming her annual visit, and she'd had to update their insurance information. When she got back in the kitchen several minutes later, Jean was peering into the refrigerator. Jean? Libby asked. Jean straightened up and said, I paw your size, then laughed harder than Libby knew she was capable of doing. I mean, I saw your pies, she continued to laugh. Oh, they look delicious. I'm bringing my very famous sausage balls, of course. Everyone simply loves them. She twirled, then curtsied. Are you okay? Libby asked her. I'm completely fine, Jean responded and walked toward the front door. Thank you for asking, she called over her shoulder. Okay, then. See you in a minute, Libby said. The woman is weird, and that's all there is to it, she thought. Libby got the pies out of the refrigerator and set them on the counter, then went to turn off the stove. She picked up the coffee cup she had set beside the pot to taste the cider and noticed it already had a lipstick stain. Libby looked more closely at it, thinking it seemed like a much pinker tone than she would normally choose. Oh, dear. She closed her eyes, 
pursed her lips, opened her eyes again, and peered into the pot of cider. It had been full before her phone call and was now almost completely empty. This Christmas party was going to be interesting. Jamie flew in just as the party at church was starting. When she'd been little, they'd held all events in the church basement. But a few years back, the church had purchased the lot next door and built a connecting fellowship hall. According to Libby, it had leveled up the ladies' luncheons considerably. Even before the nicer building, the church's annual Christmas party wasn't the kind of event where you could admit to bringing store-bought items. But Jamie wasn't about to attempt to cook anything either. She dumped a container of pimento cheese and pre-cut crudités onto a Christmas serving platter she'd found under the counter at her dad's. Done and done, she thought. She dropped off the plate with the other more elaborate dishes in the kitchen, then headed into the fellowship hall, where the women's pastor was already welcoming everyone. Libby was sitting at a side table with the rest of the Titus II group, and Jamie slid into the seat they had saved for her. Libby had insisted she come, but Jamie still wasn't thrilled about attending church events outside of Sunday morning services. Even those weekly services had been a stretch for her initially, but she'd been surprised to find herself getting more used to them as the months went on. It gave her some consistency after her dad's passing and a quiet hour every week to refocus her mind. She realized over time she was especially refreshed and encouraged on Monday mornings. She had brought it up with Webb on one of their Monday morning runs, and he'd confirmed it did the same for him. It's an hour to just sit with the Lord and be surrounded by other people who believe in Him, too, Webb had said. It's encouraging, and goodness knows we can all use a little quiet these days. Life's so busy and hectic. Jamie grinned as she thought about some of her friends who'd stayed in journalism, especially those who lived closer to New York than she had. They would have a hard time picturing life in this town as busy and hectic, but her dad had always said you tend to fill whatever time and space you have. She realized the pastor was praying for all of them to slow down and have peace in their homes and hearts for the holiday season, so she thought she might should start paying attention instead of letting her mind wander. And Lord, I pray we all just enjoy our time here today, too. Thank you so much for giving us this day, she prayed. Amen. With the pastor's amen, Jean Allen stood and loudly echoed, Amen and amen. The ladies around the room glanced at each other, appearing puzzled. Well, amen to you too, Jean, Rosemarie whispered to Patty, chuckling. Jamie turned toward Libby, expecting a snarky remark from her as well. Libby's eyes were wide, however, and Jamie thought she looked a little panicked. She turned back to look at Jean, who was walking to the front. Jean joined the pastor at the podium, smiled widely, and said, I have a message to share. Oh, sure, of course. Go right ahead, the pastor said. Ladies, feel free to enjoy your coffee while we listen to a few words from Jean. Jean stood at the podium a moment, then took the microphone off its stand. She walked to the side of the small stage, bowed her head, then cleared her throat. You've come to tell me something you think that I should know. She started singing, trailed off, then barreled in again. You say he might not love me no more, and I'm going to let him go. Is she singing Loretta Lynn in the middle of a party at church? Jamie thought. The lyrics are a little off, but surely this isn't something they do here now. She looked at Libby again, who had her elbows propped on the table and her head in her hands. 
You know you want to take him, but I know you sure can't, cause you ain't woman enough to take my man. Jean continued and started strutting around the stage. Jamie heard laughs stifled around the room as Jean twirled the cord, dipped dramatically, and belted out the rest of the entire song, finishing with a fist in the air and one last, you ain't woman enough to take my man. She took a deep bow, and the room clapped quietly. Jean smiled and bowed again, then walked off the small stage and directly out the side door leading to the parking lot. Excuse me a minute, Libby whispered. Save my seat. There's a story there, Jamie thought, as Libby took off after Jean. But something tells me it's not one anybody could publish. Libby heard Jean before she saw her throwing up in the back corner of the church parking lot. She walked over to Jean, who looked completely undignified, head between her legs, her sequined Christmas sweater heaving back and forth. Libby hesitated for just a moment, then pulled a handkerchief out of her pocket. Two of Libby's core beliefs in life were that all dresses should have pockets and everyone should have a handkerchief in one of them. You okay? she asked, handing the handkerchief to Jean. No, I'm not okay, Libby. Jean retorted, snatching it from her hand. What in the world did you put in that punch? You know good and well what was in that punch, Libby chuckled. You probably tasted it in the first sip. Well, I think I might need to talk to the pastor about that. You go right ahead, Libby said. And while you're at it, tell him how you enjoyed it so much you drank a pot full. To Libby's surprise, Jean started to cry. Libby didn't think she'd ever seen Jean cry. Not when Doug had flirted with every other girl at the senior prom and not even at her own son's funeral. Love my enemy, huh? She thought. Okay, I'm hearing you. You need to talk about anything, Libby asked. I miss him so much, Jean said, between sobs. And I just hate how it all ended. Everything was a mess, and that dreadful girl he married took our grandson to Texas, and we'll probably never see him again. At the mention of Carol, Libby bristled, then took a calming breath and sat beside her. Now you listen to me. If you'll quit being such a big old donkey, Carol will bring that boy to see you anytime you want. But you've got to admit you've been pretty awful to her. Jean tensed. Well, you should have seen the way she acted when... Libby held up her hand. I'm going to stop you right there. In case you've forgotten, she's Melody's sister, so I consider her family. And I will fight you right here in this parking lot if you say one word about my family. I'm just trying to be nice and help you, okay? Jean coughed and spit to the side, and Libby wrinkled her nose. Look, she continued, I know we've never been the best of friends. That's an understatement, Jean responded. Libby rolled her eyes and continued, But I'm so sorry Ryan died. I really am. No one should have to walk through losing a child. Jean teared up again and nodded. And I don't know if we'll ever get to be friends, but would you mind if I started praying for you? Then you can let me know if there's ever anything specific you need, and I can talk to God about it. It'll just be between me and him. Nobody else would ever have to know. Kind of like today. This can just be a story between you and me and the cider. Libby grinned and elbowed her. Jean nodded again and gave her a small smile in return. It's really nice of you, she said softly. I think I'll take you up on that. Libby stood and held out her hand to help Jean unsteadily get off the ground. Bless her heart, she thought. She is in a state today. You okay to walk home? You know you can't drive yet. Yeah, I think so, Jean said. Want me to walk with you? 
No, that's okay. I'll take it slow. Okay. Just watch out for that spot on 5th Street where the tree uprooted the sidewalk. Webb runs every morning, and he says it's just about gotten him a couple of times. Yeah, I heard he and Jamie Romans were running around, Jean muttered. Libby raised an eyebrow. Excuse me. Oh, not like. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it like that. You shouldn't have said anything, Libby countered, because they're just friends. Everybody knows they've always been friends, but there's nothing else going on between them, never has been. Okay, okay, Jean said. I've just always thought a lot of Webb, and I know it's not even been a year since he lost Taylor. And you know Jamie would never move back here. I'd hate to see Webb get hurt. Libby smiled, softening. Take care of yourself, Jean. Call me if you need anything. Thanks, Libby, she said, as she walked away from the church. Well, that was unexpected, Libby thought. But you can do immeasurably more than we can even imagine. Then she frowned as she thought about what Jean had said about Jamie and Webb, because if Jean was saying it, she wasn't the only one. Running around, huh? Good gracious, we're going to have to get all this settled. Later that week, Jamie was wrapping up at the office and relishing the idea of a few weeks completely off. She had turned in her final grades that morning and was leaving the next day to go to Connecticut to spend Christmas with Amanda and Hank's family. Her in-laws hadn't known about the struggles they'd had as a couple. They'd always been nothing but kind to her, and given their collective losses, it seemed like the right thing for them all to be together this year. She was scrolling through her email, trying to get the number in her inbox to less than 50, when she heard a tentative knock at the door and looked up to see Lacey. Well, hey there, come on in, she gestured to the chair in front of her desk. I feel like I haven't heard from you since Thanksgiving, but the end of the semester gets pretty hectic for all of us. Lacey just smiled. She looked at her lap and picked at a hole in her jeans, then squared her shoulders and looked up again. Um, Jamie, she started, then pursed her lips. Everything okay? Jamie asked. Anything I can help with? Lacey nodded. I need to tell you something, and Amanda said you'd understand. Okay. Amanda and I, well, we've been hanging out. Not like that. Not hanging out, hanging out. But we, um, we have a lot in common if you know what I mean. And she said you'd be safe to talk to you. And I feel like I'm not saying any of this right. A realization washed over Jamie, and she took a deep breath, taking a minute to process what Lacey was telling her. Amanda was right. I think I do understand. Lacey, are you trying to tell me you're gay? Lacey's eyes filled with tears, and she nodded again. Okay, Jamie said, thank you. Thank you for trusting me enough to share this with me. Can I ask, does anybody else here know? Grana knows. I told her about a year ago when I started college. Libby, of course, Jamie thought. What did she say when you told her? That I'm perfect and beautiful and this is just great because now I won't ever need to worry about birth control. Lacey laughed through her tears and Jamie laughed with her. That sounds just like Libby and you are perfect and beautiful. You look exactly like your mother, you know. Lacey smiled. Speaking of, how about your dad? You haven't told him? Lacey shook her head. Not yet. I never told mom either, but I think she kind of knew something was up. Somehow it didn't feel right not telling you, though. Maybe because of Amanda. She's been an amazing friend. And she's so talented. Jamie smiled. She adored Lacey anyway, but it was even easier to like someone who liked her daughter so much. Yeah, she is. I can't wait to spend some time with her over this break. 
Lacey looked around the room, then picked at her jeans again. Well, that's it, really. I just wanted to tell you and say thanks for everything this semester. Dr. Phillips has given me some cool stuff to work on, and he said he was glad he'd listened to you. Did he? I didn't know Tanner Phillips listened to anybody. Yeah, Lacey laughed. He's good at what he does, but he knows it. She wrinkled her nose, then her eyes widened. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Are you two, like, more than friends? Goodness, no, Jamie replied. Tanner and I have known each other for years, but it's strictly friendship with us. She didn't tell her Tanner had been trying to get her to go to dinner since her first day on the job. She liked working with him, but she wasn't about to get involved with someone who acted so much like Hank. No need to tell Lacey that part either, she thought. That's probably good, if you don't mind me saying that. Lacey nodded. Well, um, have a nice Christmas. I'm sure I'll talk to Amanda at some point, but you can tell her I said hi to. Okay. And thanks again, Lacey, for trusting me enough to talk about this. You're an incredibly special young woman. Lacey took a deep breath and stood, the relief evident on her face. As she left, Jamie leaned back in her chair and wondered how Webb would react to this news. She hated not being able to tell him, but like with Amanda, she knew it wasn't her story to tell. As much as she wanted to, she knew she couldn't tell Webb about Lacey until Lacey herself was ready. God, she prayed, could you give me some guidance on all of this? I'm not sure what to do here. Can you point me in the right direction? Her father's favorite verse came to mind. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Of course, it was the King James Version that would come back. Her father had grown up reading it and had never quite adjusted to the newer translations. Okay, will you give it to me liberally then? She asked. And look after both of these girls too, please. She didn't think Amanda had even been to church since the last Easter they'd gone several years ago. And truthfully, she wasn't sure where her daughter's relationship with God stood. Jamie knew, though, this couldn't have been easy for Lacey and reconciling it with her faith. She sat at her desk and continued to pray for both girls, for Webb, and for her own wisdom. And she felt what was getting to be a familiar, comforting peace wash over her almost instantly, one she seemed to feel every time she talked with God. Okay, she thought. Libby was right about this praying thing after all. It really has felt good to get back in the habit, so maybe I'll just keep it up. Webb knocked twice, then led himself into Melody and Dale's house on New Year's Eve. Their family gathered there every year to watch the fireworks over the river, and this was the first year Taylor hadn't been with him. The previous year, they'd argued the whole way there about whether it was safe for Lacey to move out and live in the dorm. There were occasionally problems with her insulin pump, and he couldn't stand the thought of not being there if she had any kind of issue with it overnight. You know, Taylor had snapped. When she was little, we worried every New Year's Eve about her running into the river. Then she learned to swim, and we could quit worrying about that. She has learned how to manage this herself, so we can quit worrying about this now, too. I don't think I can ever quit worrying about this, he said, until they find a cure for it, and it bugs me that you can. He'd gotten them both ginger ales from the cooler. Then Taylor had stormed into the crowded living room as he stayed in the kitchen. He took a sip of his, and Libby joined him. Think y'all will make it? His mother asked. He glanced at his watch. Only a couple of hours till midnight, he said. Surely we can stick it out with you kids. Good luck keeping up with your daddy and me, she said, grinning at him. And that's actually not what I meant, but we don't have to talk about it tonight. She took a generous sip from a monogrammed tumbler. What are you drinking? He asked. Champagne. 
It is New Year's Eve, after all. And here's a pro tip. It can smooth over arguments a little better than ginger ale. She pecked him on the cheek. But you don't have to mention that to your father. Webb's father was a teetotaler, and he had always frowned on Libby's more progressive stances on just about everything from politics to spiking the punch. Webb shook his head and chuckled. Okay, it's a deal, he said, but you'll owe me one. I think you owe me for giving you life and breath and a roof over your head for 18 years, but okay, I'll owe you one anyway. She made a face at him, and he laughed. You're a card, Mama. He took his ginger ale to the living room and sat beside Taylor in a chair in the corner, wondering if his mother was right about the champagne, as they continued arguing, trying to keep their voices low. Hey, y'all! Shane's wife, Melanie, had called as she made a beeline across the room and sat in a chair across from them. I've been meaning to tell you I was reading something the other day about diabetes and essential oils. My friend at work just loves them, and she gave me this article that said there's a blend that could practically cure it. Webb and Taylor exchanged glances and knowing smiles, reaching an uneasy truce. Over the years, they'd heard every possible alternative treatment, from apple cider vinegar to acupuncture. They wouldn't have admitted it to anyone else, but they had tried just about every miracle cure that Lacey's doctor would approve. Libby was always good about running interference for them at church, too, when well-meaning friends would squeeze their hands and insist they just needed to pray a little harder for Lacey to be healed. People mean well, he thought. I just don't understand what it's like until they've gone through it themselves. I have her card right here with me, Melanie continued. Oh, wow, thanks, Taylor said. You want to put it in my purse? I left it in the kitchen. Webb took her hand and gave it a squeeze. He really did love how gracious she always was in these situations. You bet, Melanie said. But hey, maybe no more pedicures for a while, huh? He winced as Melanie headed for the kitchen, and Taylor pulled her hand away. You told her about that, she asked. Taylor and Lacey had gone for pedicures a few weeks before, and Lacey had wound up with a bacterial infection on her feet. With the potential complications from diabetes, she'd had to have a pretty strong round of antibiotics, which had gone on to upset her stomach and lead to a few other issues. Webb had been frustrated that Taylor seemed to take it as a matter of course that these types of things would happen. And she'd, in turn, been frustrated with what she saw as overprotection from him and oversharing with his family. The same fight they'd been having for more than 10 years. He hadn't realized losing her would mean so much fighting with himself. Pushing back tears, Webb pulled himself into the present, looking at his people around the living room. They frustrated him to no end, but he wouldn't trade this group for anything in the world. For the next hour, he laughed at his father's hunting stories, debated whether Alabama was going to bring home yet another national championship, and snacked on the venison jerky his brother had made. He wasn't lonely and the house was anything but quiet. As they watched the ball drop in New York, though, he found himself feeling like someone else should be there with him. He wondered where Jamie was that night. She'd been going to see her in-laws, but she hadn't mentioned if they'd be there for New Year's Eve or back in Connecticut. Being so close to the city, would it even be possible she'd go to New York? He peered towards the television to scan the crowds. Surely not, he thought, but I do wonder if she's sticking to her training schedule. She wasn't coming back to Alabama until mid-January when the semester started, and he had told her they couldn't afford to slack off on the training. So he'd given her strict instructions about what to work on with her mileage and pacing while she was gone. Maybe I should text her, make sure, give her a hard time, he thought, grinning. 
His morning runs had felt too quiet without her, kind of like tonight, despite the noise of the house. Well, Libby's voice from the door to the deck startled him. Want to head outside? I think they're starting. Yeah, sure, he responded. Joining his family on the deck as fireworks exploded over the Tennessee River. His nephews were cheering and running around the yard with sparklers of their own, and his brothers had their arms wrapped around their wives. His dad put his arm around his mother's shoulder and she leaned into him, squeezing his waist. Not a tumbler in sight this year. Complete opposites, he thought. But they must be doing something right to still be together after all these years. Spirals of crimson and white exploded on one side of the river and blue and orange on the other, and Melody winked at Dale Jr. Webb chuckled, thinking of their house-divided rivalry. Dale Jr. squeezed her tightly and kissed her on the head, then they both turned back to the river. What would that be like, he wondered, to hold someone again, as tightly as he wanted, to pull them so close and wrap your arms around them, to smell their perfume that has that hint of tuberoses, and he realized he wasn't just thinking of a hypothetical someone. He was thinking about Jamie. This has to stop, he told himself. Or does it? Can it even stop? Can't seem to stop thinking about her no matter how hard I try. Okay, new year. Maybe a new resolution. Figure out if we're just friends or something else. God, would that even be possible? I mean, could you ever forgive me enough to let us be together? Could you show me what I can do to deserve her? To be worthy of being with her? He paused, waiting for an answer, but there was only silence in his soul as the fireworks continued to roar.